You know, I want to take a minute to thank our wonderful sponsors. Without our sponsors, especially our three annual sponsors, David Carell of United Creative Concepts, Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity, and Campbell University Divinity School, this podcast wouldn't happen. So here's where you come in. Take a few minutes to go to each of their websites and check out what they have to offer. If you really want to take the next level, be sure to tweet about this episode and thank our sponsors. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to make you aware of the next month's worth of episodes and this week's presenting sponsor. For the next few episodes, you'll hear interviews with contributing writer for The Guardian, Daniel Jose Camacho, and a live interview with Michael Ware at General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. Well, I'll go ahead and apologize uh, to our listeners because I sound like I've been smoking for 30 years, but our guest for this week's podcast will certainly make up for uh, my grovelly voice, as she is a person without a doubt full of joy and full of life. Her name is Bree McCoy, and she's the author of Come and Eat, a celebration of love and grace around the everyday table. Coming to us from Hermosa Beach, California, Bree, thank you so much for joining the conversation. Yes, of course. Hi, Andy. Thank you for having me. Now, I see you're about 12 miles from Venice, which is one of my favorite places in the entire world. Yes, we are very close. We actually uh, bike to Venice a lot in the summertime. Yeah. I looked up the weather for today and I was like, I get out of town. You know, today it's in the 40s in North Carolina <laughs> where you are. It's going to be in the 70s, you know, just and it just feels wonderful year round in California. It does. We do get a little sad around December because everyone's having snow and it just doesn't feel like Christmas around here. You know, palm trees, people are still in their bathing suits. So we do get a little sad. Is that, do y'all really feel bad? Because I mean, it's consistently perfect weather year round. (laughs) I think sometimes we just need like a week of snow just to be like, oh yeah, like we should wear boots and then we'll, and then we're fine. (laughs) So are you, uh, are we, are you originally from California? No, I'm originally from Colorado, and my husband is also from Colorado, but he's in the military. So when we got married, he was stationed in Florida, so I moved to Florida, and then he got stationed in South Carolina, and we've just recently been stationed in Hermosa. I think we're coming up on two years now. Okay, so you had me at, you're from a wonderful place in Colorado, from a wonderful place in Florida. You know, that pit stop in South Carolina, minus kind of Hilton Head area, you know, no offense to our South Carolina churches, but uh, not exactly Florida or Colorado or, or California. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a little different when we moved, when we moved there to South Carolina, they were like, welcome to the armpit of South Carolina. And we were like, oh, that's not the welcome we want, but Thankfully, the people are, they're so lovely. And so that made our experience there really wonderful. Were you trying to say that the people of South Carolina are the deodorant for the armpit of South Carolina? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. (laughs) It it sounds wonderful. If they're going to call themselves that, then might as well. So. Might as well. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for those that aren't familiar with you, obviously we know uh, some of your stops along the way, but tell us a little bit more about you. 
So I really started my career in Compassion International. It's a nonprofit that helps children living um, in desperate poverty. And so they do that through sponsorship. And one of my main roles at Compassion was to connect with influential bloggers and take them on trips to see the work of Compassion and to blog about their experience, what they're seeing, uh, the Ministry of Compassion, really. And as I started doing that, I myself created a blog and I wanted to write about something that I was really passionate about. And I had fallen in love with cooking after I got married. And so I figured I would start a blog that shared all of these fun tips and recipes that I was learning as I was myself learning to cook. And so that's really where I stepped into this space of food. And it, it kind of just incidentally happened that Jesus met me in such an intimate way in the kitchen. I really was cooking because of a necessity to feed myself and my husband. And we would start to bring people to our table because I grew up in a family of five. And so I was cooking quite large portions of food and my husband decided we're going to start bringing home some of the single guys from the military and you can feed them. And as we started to feed them, they just started opening up to us and we started opening up to them as well. And we started to find this really kind of a holy place at the table where conversations that we didn't otherwise have were happening there. And we were able to encourage others. We were being encouraged. We were able to find healing at the table. We were able to grapple with some hard things at the table. And so Jesus started revealing to me that there is power around bringing people together around a meal. And as I started to see that in my own life and was going to scripture, I noticed, oh my goodness, Jesus himself was doing a lot of his ministry around a table. And, and so that's really where I started to dive into this issue of what does it look like to bring people together around a meal and share the love of Christ right where he has us. Hmm. We'll get to the, the theological implications of the book here in just a moment, but let's take a step back into this, this journey of, of, of cooking. You know, I grew up in a household where, you know, both of my parents were amazing, um, chefs, you know, I guess lay chefs, they, they really loved cooking dynamic meals. And, um, you know, as I got into college, I, I took that on for my parents, but I started to realize how many people did not know how to cook. And after, um, reading your book, I realized that was, that was part of your journey as well. So I was wondering, uh, if you might be willing to share, you know, um, what meal are you the most proud of and what, what meal would you, uh, say, yeah, I wish I had never even got started on that one. <laughs> it, that is, it is true. I did not learn to cook until I was 26, which is when I got married. And I come from a long line of amazing cooks, my mom's side of the family, especially. And she always cooked amazing meals. I just never was interested in it. And it was after I got married that my husband sat me down and just said, you know, it's not in the budget to eat out this much. And I really was just completely shocked and realized, okay, well, I'll just start to cook things. And I have to say the first few months of cooking, 
those would be my least favorite meals. I one recipe I made was it was literally just I think three pounds of chopped white onions with some cream and salt and pepper. And I thought it was gonna be a feast. But this is how basic of a cook I was. I didn't even know that that probably wasn't meant to be a main meal. And it was disgusting. And my husband let me know that very gently and we threw it away. And I, I had a lot of those mess ups. I had a lot of, you know, I had to learn what spices work together. Uh, what happens when you put certain things under a broiler in the oven? Why would you not cook certain things over high heat? And how to cook chicken so it's not raw when you're eating it. And and so that was a long process for me. Um, but I now post a lot of my favorite recipes on my blog. And I have to say one that I absolutely love is uh, chicken curry that I created. And it is actually paleo, which was important to me. And I've had people from, um, from India actually comment on that post and say that it is a very traditional curry and it reminds me of their grandmother's curry. Oh, wow. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's one of our favorites. All right. What's, what's the one? I know you talked about that particular one that you all threw up, but what, what's the one you're like, yeah, that's, I'm not going to try that one again. Ooh, okay. So the onion casserole for sure. I think, oh, what is one? Oh, I recently, actually, this one is very recent. I, I did a, a chicken on the grill, like a whole roast chicken on the grill. And I stuffed it with all of these yummy spices. And I was really excited about it. And I had cooked it the way that it was supposed to be cooked, but I opened the the grill cover and the thing was charcoal black. It was burnt to a crisp. And I don't know what went wrong, but I am not trying that again. That was, <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's like a whole roasted chicken. I was like, this is not a cheap, this is not like, oh, I burned one item. I, I burnt a full chicken. So that just went directly into the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Since uh, since I've been cooking for my wife since we were in college, um, she keeps a tally of the bad meals I've produced. And luckily, we only have three, but we can name those three that it, we both <laughs> took a first bite of it. And she looked at me and said, yeah, let's try that one again. Uh, all, all the rest, all the rest, you know, all the many meals we shared together. You know, I'm reminded of uh, the great Pixar film Ratatouille, um, you know, Chef Gustav, that famous saying, anyone could cook but only the fearless can be great. Uh, it's, it's something to be said about uh, piecing together the right spices, the right uh, blend of ingredients that, that make for a wonderful meal. Um, well, um, I picked up a copy of, of Come and Eat a couple months ago, and um, uh, my thoughts on it, uh, it provides a theological framework of the transforming power of sharing a meal with others. It provides... Uh, beautiful recipes to share with others and conversation starters uh, to share life. Um, I thought this was a, a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, and you wrote in there one, one particular uh, quote that sticks out to me. Um, it said, if we slow down and refining the work of realigning our lives with the father's perspective, then I think we will find our place and come to complete peace in our own skin at our own table. Our lens will shift and click into clarity. The meal of the tablescape will be but a blurry image 
in the periphery and showing up to connect with the living, beating image bearer of God, heart right in front of us, that we will become the most important thing, the fulfillment of God's purpose for our tables. As, as you were preparing, um, you know, all these meals, what, what motivated you to say, I, I need to, I need to write a book about this. Well, I think it came from a place of talking to people at our table about the importance of bringing others to a table. And everyone that I shared this with started to say, you know, I'd really love the tools to know how to do that. Or I'm really not confident in my, I don't, I don't want my home or, you know, we have little kids and our house is always a mess. And so that, that doesn't seem like we're in a season right now where we can have people over. And as, as I was talking to these people and these people are like our friends, people from our church, um, neighbors, I just started to realize that I think there is a lot of barriers in our society today of being authentic and bringing people into the lives that God has given us, especially because we live in, you know, the age of Pinterest where everything has to look really pretty and, and done up in the age of Instagram, where every recipe has to be, you know, picture worthy. And, and really when we, you know, the social media where we're trying to depict our best selves. And so, oh my goodness, how vulnerable to bring someone into our lives, uh, a play by play up close and personal of who we are and the homes that God has given us and the seasons that God has us in. And so my desire to write this book came from a place of wanting to show people we can bring our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers to our table with very little effort. And it doesn't mean that we need a perfect meal and it doesn't mean that we need a perfect home and it doesn't mean we need to be in the best season of our lives. It just means that we have a love for Jesus and a desire to share his love with others. Mm. And I think, I think that's one of the things I appreciated most about the book is you built this theological framework around why you think a meal is so important. And really, um, you know, as you indicate, and this is um, my own working theology, um, in the Gospels, we witness Jesus breaking bread with this diverse group of people, There's, you know, from prostitutes and tax collectors to the self-righteous religious leaders. Jesus used the act of, of breaking bread with the others to, to tear down social and religious and political walls, as well as spark transformation. And for me, um, you know, the, the practice of communion, um, this is often I share this as a word of invitation. Um, I pastor a, a, a local church, and um, we indicate that the table is welcome for all, just as Christ opened his table for all. Um, so, so what what brought about that that theological perspective for you that this is this is a, a an act of ministry this is an act of bringing uh, Christ's presence among us? I will have to say it's it is when I started reevaluating the scriptures when God was meeting me at the table. I grew up in the church, and I think sometimes when you grow up in the church, the scripture can become just like yeah. Jesus ate with a prostitute or, you know, Jesus talked to a woman at the well, Jesus, you know, it's like, it, it becomes a little numb, at least it had to me and, and almost uneventful in ways. 
And so when I started to really look at how did Jesus do his ministry on earth? And I started to notice, wow, he was showing up to a meal and oh my goodness, people that the religious people did not like that he was showing up to these meals. He was called uh, drunk and a glutton and very much upsetting the religious community. And to me, I, I realize who am I bringing to my table? You know, am I, am I bringing people to my table that look like me and think like me and act like me, which was the case. And in that case, those meals are always very nice and tidy because we all agree and we all think the same and we all look the same. And I had a very deep desire and hunger to follow Jesus and what, and what he did when he was on earth. And so that's what upended everything for me. And that's where Jeremy and I started saying, okay, let's invite this group of people to our table. Let's invite these people to our table and let's see how Jesus can meet us. And we've found so much life and encouragement. And there have definitely been, I have a chapter in my book called Tables of Brokenness. Um, there have been really hard conversations. But I feel like for us, that is how we are enacting Jesus' life here on earth. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Campbell University Divinity School. Committed to Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused theological education, and committing to helping you answer your call with a variety of master's and doctoral-level programs. Campbell University Divinity School understand that those who have answered the call to ministry face many challenges. One of those challenges is maintaining a healthy balance in the face of stress, long hours, and high demands. If you're a minister and long for a place of retreat, please consider attending Campbell's third annual Minister's Health Summit on Thursday, June the 7th. The Minister's Health Summit is a one-day retreat that promotes wellness, self-care, and education for ministers and offers ideas to promote healthy lifestyle habits for the people they serve. Registration for the event is $30 and includes a free health screening, breakfast and lunch, one large keynote session, two breakout sessions, resources for ministers and congregational health, as well as a t-shirt. The event will begin at 8 a.m. and last until 5.15 p.m. For more information on our keynote speaker, breakout sessions, and schedule, please visit divinity.campbell.edu and click on the events under the church relations tab. In reference to Matthew 25, the 6th century monk, St. Benedict, um, wrote, Let all guests who arrive be received like Christ, for he is going to say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. You know, I, I think the church um, in our history, we have uh, dedicated ourselves to acts of charity. Um, but that feels so fake and inauthentic these days. So how, how do we as followers of Christ go about opening our table um, to others, especially others we don't necessarily agree with, um, whether politically or theologically or economically or, or whatever the case might be? Um, how do we do that in, in an authentic way? That's so good. I think one of the biggest things that Jeremy and I have learned is to invite from a place of exactly who we are. For example, Jeremy is an introvert and he's very analytical and I'm an extrovert and you will become my best friend like the minute I meet you. And we really wanted to make sure that as we're inviting people to our table, we're not 
you know, I, I'm not a, a preacher, so I'm not, you know, standing outside preaching, bringing people into my table. Like I have, I want to invite people to my table exactly as God created me and the same as Jeremy. And you need to uh, be authentic in your invitation. So for example, Jeremy, when he invites people, we had some new neighbors a few months ago. Uh, he, he wrote on a sticky note, come have dinner with us and put it on their door, which is just such his style. Like put our address on the door, left the sticky note and they came over and, and that's, that's who he is. And that's his style. But for me, I, you can find me in our, in our park going around and people asking them to just come on over for dinner right now. And so I think one thing to realize as you're bringing people to your table is there's not one way to do it. Some people do want the white linens and the, you know, delicious smelling pot roast and the three course meals. And that's great for those people. Other people, maybe they're bringing out the paper plates and they're bringing out, um, you know, the to-go menus and, and calling, calling to order food in. It is really, I think, coming to Jesus first and, and being honest with him. I want to bring people to my table and I want to do it from a place of who you've created me to be and not because you know, Susie down the street is doing such an amazing job and she cooks the best meals and whatever it is. So as long as you're coming from a place of authenticity, I think God will bless that. And I think also to be aware of the fact that it's going to look different every single time. There's been times where Jeremy and I have invited, you know, 10 people over and two people showed up. And it's easy to get discouraged or to think like, is it my house? Is it my food? Is it me? Um, but to just trust that God is bringing the exact people to your home that night that needs to be there. And to fully pour yourself into them as if there were the 10 people there. And then sometimes you'll invite two people. This happened to us last week. And actually we invited one person over for dinner and six showed up. The, the invite just kept getting out. <laughs> And it could have been a moment of being extremely stressed and frazzled. Like, oh my goodness, we, we invited one person and not six people are coming. But taking that moment to realize, wow, this is not about me. It's not about my food. It's not about being the best cook or having the best table or the most clean home. This is an opportunity for me to show up to someone's life. And God is intentionally bringing these people into my home. And I want to show up for them and love on them. And I want them to leave and feel loved. And it's less about them leaving and feeling like I really served a great meal or I really know how to entertain. I think it's just a shift in our perspective. I just love the idea of, of him writing a note and leaving it on the door because anybody could have <laughs> showed up, you know, FedEx guy <laughs> coming to drop a package off or mail person and just thinking, Oh, sure. I'll come on over. Um, you know, something you said there uh, that really sticks out to me that's something that uh, our local congregation chews on a lot. And as I work with our CBF congregations, I also um, ask this question is what is success? You know, what is our metric of success? And for far too long, the church has measured success by um, numerical um, results, you know, number of rear ends in the seats, number of um, the amount of money in the budget, you know, um, but, but what you're talking about is something completely different. Um, so, so what does success look like for you in this? 
I, I also had to change my perspective on, on what success, like a successful night of having people over. Originally, it was they loved my food. They loved my home. They loved me. They thought I was funny and entertaining. And it was actually my husband that pointed that out to me, which was not, a, that's not a fun conversation, but that one happened where he just said, I think you are, you have it upside down. Like what you think is success. If, if you want people to leave feeling, feeling like you're awesome, is that really, was that, is that really what you want? And I had to sit down and think about that because of course, of course, when he said that, my response was, no, I don't want, I don't want people leaving thinking I'm awesome. That, that's not my end goal here. But everything I was doing really was pointing toward, yes, that is to me a successful night. People left and I feel awesome because they think I'm awesome. And when I was getting into that headset, the other thing I realized is I was less likely to invite people over until things were perfect. Because if my end goal was, this night was a success because I feel great about how it happened, well, all went out, how it all went down and people think that I'm amazing. Well, then my home does need to be clean to have people over. And I do have to have an amazing meal to feed people. And I do have to do my hair and have, you know, my best clothes on. And so that really inhibited my ability to invite consistently. And what Jeremy and I realized was that a successful night of bringing people to the table is when those people leave and they feel loved and they feel seen and they feel heard. And when you boil it down to that, really the meal just becomes the background and the state of your house becomes the background. And if you were able to do your hair, if it's in a messy bun, like that becomes the background and you're just fully showing up for those people. I want to hear your story. I want to know how you're doing. I want you to feel loved and seen. And, and that's what I believe Jesus calls us to do with the people in our lives every day anyway. And so once we shifted our perspective to that, oh my gosh, we'll open our doors at any time because, okay, the house doesn't matter. If the house is clean, it doesn't matter. And if I'm still in my yoga clothes, it doesn't matter. And if the only thing I have to feed someone is, you know, pulling out some cheese and fruit and nuts. Well, great. Cause the food doesn't matter. It's just about us showing up for those people. You ought to see what my hair looks like in a messy bun. <laughs> I would really like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just got to cut yesterday. That's not happening for at least six months. So, uh, <clears throat> so in, you wrote this in the book and I don't want to give too much of the book away cause we want ultimately people to go buy it. Um, but I, what I gather from this is, uh, and I, I really agree with you in this, that, that this is a, an essential action of the church um, to open our tables uh, to all people. So what does, that, what does that look like for you for the local church? That is, to me, it looks very radical. I think sometimes when we open up our tables to anyone and everyone, we can feel maybe like we need to convert them to Jesus. 
because they, they aren't believers or maybe there's sin in their life that we need to point that sin out and, and show them the right path. And so I think that's what inhibits us from potentially bringing others to the table because we feel the burden of we have to do this really big thing. We have to confront them. We have to win them for Jesus. And for me, the first step of believers bringing people to the table is realizing that burden is not on you. You are not the savior. Jesus is the savior. And we have the Holy Spirit and we can rely on him. And we might have a group of people to our table who don't know Jesus. We might have them to our table eight times and never be able to share about Jesus. And that is, that is so okay because there is a spiritual realm and Jesus is moving in it. And we might not be able to see what he's doing, but we don't have to carry that burden of this is a stressful time or I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing if I haven't shared Jesus yet. So for me, the first is just to lay all of that down and trust Jesus to do exactly what Jesus wants to do. He wants to save people. He wants people to know him. And if we lay that down and we look at our tables and say, I'm just going to show up exactly as I am and bring whatever food I have, then, then that breaks down so many walls. And I think when you're looking at, okay, now that I've, now that I've taken that step, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that burden off of me because that's not a burden I need to carry. Okay, now I'm ready to invite people to my table. I think it's just a matter of looking up at the people God has surrounded you with. And that is your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe the people you see at the park, uh, maybe even, you know, also church friends and churchgoers. Um, and if you look up, and Jeremy and I have done this, we've lived in so many different places. And there have been times and seasons for us when, when we've looked up and, and felt like we are really only surrounded by white Christians. Like, what do we do now? We, okay, we're ready. We're ready to invite people to our table. We're ready to invite people who don't look like us or think like us or act like us. We have no agenda with them except to love them extravagantly in the way that Jesus has called us to love people. But where are the people? If you find yourself in that place, then you just need to ask Jesus to bring them to you. And he, he will. There have been so many times um, where Jeremy and I have felt wait, where we don't, we just see our, our, our small group of friends, or we're only surrounded by believers. And so I would say just to ask him to bring the people and to ask the Holy Spirit to keep your eyes open and ready and willing. And for those of, for those people who are surrounded by a diverse group of friends, Jeremy and I personally are surrounded by a very diverse group of friends in our current situation. We just had to take that step and start inviting and just trust. There, were, there are some people who have never come to our table and maybe never will, but we're going to keep inviting. And there's lots that have continued to come to our table, despite our differences, despite the fact that um, we disagree on things, they still come. And I think the reason they still come is because we took that first step of, you know, there's no agenda here except to love people. You call for, for brokenness and meekness and peace at the shared table. What does that look like for you? Yes. So something that I talk about in my book, it's 
are the different aspects of Jesus' character, bringing those different aspects to the table. And I think it's important to realize that when you start consistently bringing people to your table, it's not always going to be a time filled with joy. It's not always going to be a lot of laughter and fun. There are going to be times where hard conversations are going to happen and to be open to that. So, for example, with meekness, I really studied, you know, what does it look like to be meek, especially for someone like me who is very gregarious and extroverted and laughs loud and has a story for everything. And so I studied, you know, what does that look like? And I think really what God revealed to me is I'm not asking you to change your personality. I'm asking you to change your perspective. And coming to the table with meekness means you prefer the other. You prefer the other people at your table. You, you want to elevate them. You want to hear their story. You, uh, you, want to, you want to serve them. You're not looking to be served by them. In fact, there was, and I think I talked about this a little bit, there's a quote um, that I found that said, uh, when you walk into a room, you're, you're one of two people, either someone that says, here I am or a person that says, there you are. And for me, meekness at the table really means showing up and saying, there you are, instead of here I am. And the same goes with uh, peace. I think Jesus had this amazing ability to bring peace to the table, despite the very, very many um, interesting conversations he had, you know, the last supper where he's saying, someone's going to betray me tonight. And also when he's showing up on the beach, after his resurrection and after Peter has denied him and he's, he's feeding Peter uh, fish or, or cooking fish for him and eating a meal with him. I think that just means coming to the table and wanting to bring peace. Like this, there might be difficult conversations that are happening. There might be a broken relationship that's there, but to calmly come with peace and a desire to hear from that person, a desire to love that person and, um, and also, I think we need to embrace more brokenness at our tables. I think we need to be able to listen to the hard conversations. I have had, I have had a lot of hard conversations at my table, um, ranging from politics to homosexuality to the refugee crisis. Um, and, and everyone, there's been times where everyone at the table had differing opinions. And I think if we're coming with peace and we're coming with meekness, and we're coming with the desire to love people the way Jesus loved people, we can have those conversations and we will all be better for it without any agenda of, you know, this person has to, you know, believe the way I believe, or I want them to realize how bad their idea is. That's a bad idea, what they're thinking, you know, instead of that, to just have that conversation and allow for it to be directed by the Holy Spirit, allow um, for it you know, yourself to be tapping into that peace and that meekness. Um, by the time this podcast airs, uh, the book will have been out for nine months. Um, what are your, what are your biggest celebrations from the book? Oh, so there are a few, I think one of the greatest joys has been hearing how many people have started bringing others to their table. So, so many people have reached out to me and just said, I 
I wasn't bringing people to my table because I do have a baby or I wasn't bringing people to my table because I don't know how to cook or I'm a very conservative Christian in the Bible Belt and I have never had non-believers to my table. When I get those people reaching out to me and saying that they're now bringing people to their table consistently, they're now looking at their table as a place to extend more Jesus love, that is my greatest joy because that is exactly why I wrote the book. Um, others, just being able to share my recipes, I've been able to share my recipes in some um, exciting places and it brings me so much joy to know that I can give a message, you know, bring more people to your table, but I can also then give the meal, give the recipe. And that's what I did in Come and Eat. It has 21 recipes. And I told my publisher when we sat down um, to talk about the project, I'm, I don't want to just write a book that tells people what they should be doing. I want to give them the tools they need to actually do it. And so I wrote recipes and questions for the table and prayer for the table. And so it's, it is so exciting to me when I get those messages that say, oh, I tried your recipe and it was so good. And we had friends over and they loved it. And it, it took the stress away from me to have to think through a meal or how to cook something. And so that's been really fun. And I've just been able to travel around America and talk about this message of bringing people to the table. And I, I love it because I believe in it so much. And I believe it's something that Jesus wants, uh, wants us to do more of. What's next for you? Well, currently I am doing new recipes on my blog. I just launched that. So I'm doing new recipes every week on my blog. And that is because a lot of people started commenting and saying, we want more, we need more recipes. We want to, we want to bring more people to our table and more recipes. And so as a response to that, I now do a new recipe every week and I'm going to launch cooking videos so that I can take people through, um, through how to cook the meal. And, and hopefully another, hopefully another book project around the corner that will continue this message of come and eat. Uh, many people asking for the uh, onion casserole recipe or no? <laughs> you, you know what? Now that you mention it, no one has asked for that. And I am shocked. <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> yeah. It sounds delicious. Uh, ish. Uh, <laughs> Just why not just bite into an onion at this point? Like, that's basically what I was serving. I've been trying my best not to cough this entire time. But it's cold or bug, whatever. Done, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Oh, well, you've done so good, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I, I really I'm not coughing. Well, if you want to follow Brie on Twitter, it's Brie, at Brie McCoy. Uh, keep up to date with her blog, her wonderful recipes, her videos, and more at OurSavoryLife.com. Uh, Brie, thank you so much for opening your table to others, and thank you so much for sharing this theological journey that you have gone through that is now impacting so many lives. Thank you so much. It was such a joy to talk with you. 
This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our two degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentrations, and the Doctor of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministries or pastoral care and counseling. Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Gardner-Webb where, as one of our former deans once said, your heart and your head can be friends. Join us for the 2018 Pastor School, May 28th through the 30th, in partnership with Pittman Center of Congregational Enrichment. This year's guest speaker topics will focus on leadership and perilous times. For more information on the Divinity School and upcoming events, visit gardner-web.edu backslash divinity. Well, that's our episode. We'll see you next week. Visit cbf.net for more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, stories about our field personnel, chaplains, and church starters, as well as our advocacy work around the world. 